Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the All Might Be Edified Discussions on Servant Leadership. I'm Keith Pankow, the host of this podcast, and I'm honored to be here with Alex Mestris, who was a class of mine at University of Miami and was born and raised in Miami, Florida. Out of high school, she attended Miami-Dade Community College, where she focused on early childhood education and American Sign Language. Alex then went on to receive a bachelor's degree at Flagler College in elementary education and education of the hearing impaired K-12. through She began her career at the Debbie School, a program specifically geared towards support children with hearing loss. She was the pre-kindergarten and kindergarten teacher in the total communication classroom an environment where content is presented in both spoken language as well as American Sign Language. After a few years at the school, Alex moved on to the public school system in Miami-Dade County. After the arrival of her second son, Alex went into administration at local early learning center. She worked with a small church school, then moved on to work with Homestead Family YMCA. She eventually led their early childhood center and camp programs. After leaving the YMCA, she continued her career in early childhood, working as a curriculum coordinator and teacher at a large church school. As her boys grew, she decided to go back into public school education and became the chairperson for Miami-Dade County Public Schools Deaf and Hard of Hearing Department. She spent time working with students and teachers as well as training on best practices for the profession. After leaving the public school, Alex opened her own consulting business, specifically working with charter schools on supporting the deaf and hard of hearing students in their mainstream classrooms. She also works part-time for the University of Miami Children's Hearing Program as their education specialist. Her role is to counsel families on navigating their educational options when they have a child diagnosed with hearing loss. Alex presents locally and nationally on topics centered around working with this population. She also works with the board's AG Bell, Florida, as a member of the AG Bell National as a consultant. Alex also recently completed her master's degree in applied learning sciences. Alex has been married to the city Miami firefighter for the past 29 years, and they have two sons. Her oldest is married, and they have a beautiful one-and-a-half-year-old little girl. Her youngest is engaged to be married in December. Well, welcome, Alex. It's so wonderful to have you on today. Thanks, Keith. I really appreciate you having me. It's an honor. I feel like I've been following this from the beginning. You were part of the discussion that decided on this as my informal learning environment. So you have been there from the start. It's amazing to see what you've done with it. And I think it's really important. I think the message that you have and the people that you've had on have been fantastic. Well, I appreciate your support and encouragement. And even when I felt like giving up, you've been there along the way to support me and continue to motivate me to do good. And I remember sitting in that apartment in Mexico City with that weird looking eyeball behind me (laughs) that you would always comment on that you felt was always looking at you and just talking about how a podcast would be a great thing. And I was so skeptical, but you, Abraham and Christine continued to motivate me. So I appreciate that. And you've done great things. Look at that. You know, it's interesting. This is going to be a wonderful discussion. I think that Many people are on this are going to be exposed to some content that they might never have been exposed to in their life. But I think if you listen really good and think about this, there's going to be some application across all of your organizations and especially in communication. So there's a wonderful opportunity here to think about things in ways you've never thought about them before. And there's an opportunity as we'll turn this full circle and talk about some community building too at the end of this. So I'm so excited to talk about this as I've spent time with Alex in 
our university studies, as I've worked on my doctorate and her and her master's degree, she has exposed me to the deaf and hard of hearing community in ways I never could have imagined. And I've just had my eyes open to some of the challenges, some of the uniqueness of those opportunities, and also to some of the great things that she does in that community. And so I'm happy to amplify her voice and share that with you all today. It's interesting because we take it, you know, part of servant leadership is good communication. And a lot of times we take the hearing part of communication for granted. And I think that's a large part of this is we don't realize for children, hearing loss represents only 1% of an educational population. So it's what we call a low incident disability. However, it's growing between the ages for children between the ages of six and 12, because or actually six and 19, for several reasons. One, we're getting better at diagnosing things. But two is how many kids pop those ear AirPods in their ears and listen to them at unsafe volume. But we're also seeing that same respect in the same respect as people are going into the workplace as adults. And the University of Miami just recently did a study near and dear to my heart about noise exposure and hearing loss for firefighters. My husband being a city of Miami firefighter, and they actually used an Apple Watch to measure hearing or measure volume in like the bay of the of the fire station, the being in the engine, what that sounds like and, and the impact that it has on hearing loss. So it is, while in education, it's a small percentage, but as you get out into the world, there's a larger growing population. It's not just for the elderly anymore. It's now a growing population of people that are finding themselves in circumstances where they don't hear quite as well as they thought they did. And what that all means, there's so many ramifications when it comes to that end of communication, more about the listening than the producing. Yes, yes. And let's let's talk a little bit about that listening, which is a characteristic of servant leadership. And Ruin McKay talked about that on his episode in great detail. But I'd also like to just mention, you know, this is near and dear to my heart because I was recently diagnosed with some with small, a low degree of hearing loss and from my exposure in my career. And one of the things I've noticed is if you turn on the kitchen sink while I'm watching TV, I can't hear anything that's going on around me. Like a, just that differentiation of noise of the different decibels because it's such a low degree of hearing loss. I think I don't realize that I really have it, but it's just that competing noises is where I really have a challenge. And so it's interesting. And I think there's probably what I've learned from working with you is there's a lot more people that have stuff like that than realize it. And so sometimes we interact with people that might have these low incident disabilities or even in the classroom with some of these children. But even in the adult world, we have these people with these low incident disabilities that we you know, may not want to vocalize it. They may not want to advertise this to the people around them. And you know, when you just turn something on that might create a competing noise, it might be harder to have those communications. So it might not be that they're not listening or not having good communication. It might really be that there's an actual hindrance to that communication that's physical and debilitating to that person. So I love this this conversation. I love the the importance, as you said, the listening aspect, because if we're truly listening, if we're paying attention with all of our listening faculties, not just our ears, we're watching, we're reading the body language, we can pick up on, hey, this person might not be able to hear exactly everything we're communicating. And that's what truly being a good servant leader really is in the communication aspect. Yeah, it's it's difficult. People don't realize how dynamic hearing is. They think it's just about 
what goes into the ear and and you process it but there's so much so many dynamics to sound and how we perceive sound and how that impacts speech and the impacts though you alluded to this sort of is the impact of hearing loss is somewhat invisible because people don't necessarily always want to disclose what's going on or you don't want to tell somebody you don't hear something how many times do you want to say what you know and you say what what and you kind of start going i don't want to say what again so it becomes very isolating as far as communication is concerned you know you're talking about that water running and and that impacting what you're hearing in the environment as far as the tv and things like that and it's interesting because there's a statistic for children that say even a mild hearing loss can cause a child to listen or to miss about 50 percent of classroom conversation now you could exponentially take that out to the adult world right the reason that happens is not typically direct instruction where everybody may be quiet and the teacher's talking and and all the visual cues are there and everything is available for the person with hearing loss to understand it's the extraneous factors of the noise that then layer it up because the layers are is the noise greater than or superseding or causing it to be perceptually what we would say is muffled for the person with hearing loss they're not sure what to think about that because they do hear some things but they just don't hear everything so it's an interesting dynamic that is it is like an onion there's multiple layers to it and it impacts people more than i think the general population knows people don't realize how isolating hearing loss can be if you sit at a table and or in a restaurant and you're there with your friends and people are talking and or even think of it in terms of church or work or how much noise is in that environment that doesn't let that speech communication through and so the impact becomes just invisible because it's not something you see because typically when we talk about deaf people there are definite markers for people that are profoundly deaf their speech changes their intonations change things like that but for people that are hard of hearing it's almost not even noticeable it's imperceptible because their speech hasn't changed they learn to speak they know what it sounds like they know how things sound so you don't hear it in their speech so it's not something that you notice what you have to almost look for is their body cues their frustration all that type of those types of things the other problem is we have a misperception too that once a person has hearing aids we perceive it to be like glasses right i put my glasses on and my world clears up absolutely clears up and if i can't see if i can't see the computer or i can't see my kindle or i can't see the distance i go to lens crafters or my eye doctor and it's fixed in an hour right they fix my lenses and all is right with the world again hearing is so much more dynamic than that hearing aids don't guarantee clarity they don't guarantee that that sound is getting through clearly and then what people don't realize is hearing aids bring in all the sound at the same level and leave the brain to sift it out so we as people we hear a lot of ambient noise and our brain learns to turn down the perceptual volume but for with people with hearing loss their brain has to relearn that and people will say well the hearing aids yeah that's great but a good hearing aid user regardless of age wears their hearing aids 10 to 14 hours a day so basically all waking hours and it takes up to a year for the brain to integrate that signal of the hearing we are wired to hear naturally but hearing aids are digital sounds. Cochlear implants are digital sounds. 
Bajas, that's a whole different kind of thing for a different kind of hearing loss, but it's not a natural sound. So the brain has to relearn it on top of relearning how to filter out all the noise that's coming in again. There's a lot of dynamics to it and it becomes very difficult. Kids go through a lot of what we call oral rehabilitation to learn to hear through their hearing aids. We don't do the same thing for adults. So they have to learn on their own how to sift through all of this. That's why a lot of, of our older active older adults, such as my mother, put their hearing aids in the drawer because nobody tells them that it's going to take time and it's going to take effort for you to retrain your brain. So it's it's difficult. It is really adds a dynamic to communication that isn't always recognized. That is so interesting. And I think there's such an overlap there to our organizations and to the way we communicate. So many of us bring some really bad communication habits into our organizations. And if we're not taught how to overcome those habits, they take time to learn good communication practices. And if we're not taught or nurtured in that process, it can take over a year to learn good communication practices. Sure. And if, if we continue to put those good practices in the drawer metaphorically, we're going to continue not to incorporate those good practices into our psyche. And we're going to continue to struggle to incorporate those practices. Right. And so I think the way we, those team dynamics that we work with and how we communicate as teams, there's practice that takes place and there's building that art of listening and working together and positive communication and all the art of communication with, you know, reading people and understanding what's going on and body cues and, you know, emotional intelligence and all what they would call the soft cues and stuff like that of what is going on and how to work with people, but not just hearing for those that are deaf or hard of hearing, but also everyone in communicating. Mm -hmm. It's working through all of those things to train the brain how to have positive communication and listening in a way that incorporates into the brain good practices and working together as a team in a way that incorporates those things on an everyday practice and looking for those things. What are those good habits that we're putting in the drawer and what are those bad habits that we continue to integrate into our daily routines because we're so used to them, they're easy, that we've taken from our home lives and Maybe they're just comfortable and what can we learn from the people around us that they're better, but they're just not natural to us because they come from a different culture or they come from a different way of life, but they're actually better. And so we need to take those out of the drawer and implement in our lives. Yeah, it's funny you should mention that because the first thing I think of is people always say, you know, good communication. If you go to a training or you go to a group work, what's the first thing they say? Let's have one conversation at a time right? Let's not have side conversation. Let's have one person speak at a time. Well, right. But we, that goes out the window, especially if everybody all of a sudden has a great idea that they want to share. And every, all of a sudden, everybody's talking all at once. For the person with hearing loss, this is a nightmare because all of a sudden you don't know where to focus and where to put your effort, your listening efforts. People don't realize that listening is actually a physical activity and it's scientifically proven that there's something called auditory fatigue, right? So especially for people with hearing loss. So it's like asking somebody to run an eight minute race or a 10 minute race and telling them they only have eight minutes. 
you're going to be a little tired. You're making an extra effort there. So that good communication that goes out the window when we're excited or we want to share something or, and so this person is lost trying to find out, figure out who's talking, which point is the most important? Where do I focus that list, listening effort? And at the end of the day, if you think you're exhausted as a hearing person from a training or something like that at the end of the day, let me tell you, the person with hearing loss is going home more exhausted. Because we have kids, I have students that the parents report up until middle school, the first thing that happens when they get in the car is they fall asleep because they're so exhausted from listening over constantly competing sound. That's what I think we put in the drawers. And it's not necessarily intentional because we mean well, we want to get our ideas out there, but we don't realize how much that impacts the people around us. And those people aren't always, you've said this, you said this sort of in the beginning, those people aren't always comfortable saying, hey, I need everybody to talk at one time. You know, there's different types of amplification. There's the two most common are hearing aids and now the cochlear implants becoming very commonplace, which is an internal device that is wired through to the outside of the skull. And it gives people a lot of access, but whether it's hearing aids or cochlear implant, all this stuff impacts them. It's still the brain trying to sift out all this sound and it's exhausting. So fascinating. And I think about it and many of us have been talking about the difference between introverts and extroverts. And we're even bad about creating an environment where we're intentional about communicating in a way that's different for introverts and extroverts when we're already taught that they communicate differently depending on how you like that. And I remember one time being told that I should give my introverts more time to process information or to be outside the meeting when they're processing because they might be intimidated or they might need time to have the energy to focus on the material outside of a big group of people. And that was so enlightening to me, but then I hardly ever see it done in practice. And that's one thing like that I see put in the drawer so much that would be a great activity. And that's another example that's, you know, completely different, but along the same lines of just stating that one communication method is never going to reach everyone in our organizations, in our groups, we come from many different backgrounds. We come from many different cultures. We have different family dynamics. We have different medical conditions, whether it be deafness or hard of hearing, whether it be ADHD, whether it be mental health concerns, whether it be just uh, our ability to check in on that given day. And so Mm -hmm. the way we look at communicating, we need to assess what are the different ways in our organization on our teams that we're communicating and is it good enough to bring the full capacity of every team member and if we're a true servant leader i think that we're going to want to communicate in more ways than just looking at the minimum and what do you think are ways that we could look for more ways to communicate in your opinion i think it's interesting first that you mentioned about the processing because people don't realize this. I I talk to a lot of teachers about this because the biggest complaint of some of my hard of hearing kids. Now, deaf is a different, a little bit of a different dynamic and a little bit of a different communication set if they're using American Sign Language. But for the hard of hearing and what we would say is the oral deaf, so people using listen and spoken language, 
that processing is really important. That giving that processing time because for kids, I tell teachers, we want them to know what we want them to know. So we want them to know that osmosis and mitosis are two different things. But what we forget is when things are new to them, we're now asking them how it's, they have to process how that sounds for them because they're not always sure what something sounds like if they've never heard it before. You know, they don't, they're not sure. I'll give you a perfect example. I have a student that I got to a school one day and she's studying for a science test, very desperately studying for a science test. And she said, I said, well, give me your cards. She's a good student. Give me your cards. I'll read the words and you tell me the definition. So I read Eclipse. And she's like, oh, which one is that again? And then she said, and then I said, Ellipse. And she says, oh, which one is that again? And, but when I gave them to her to match, she had no problem. But the processing of knowing what those two words that she's never heard or she doesn't use a lot meant. So it's that processing time is important. Giving people time to answer, you know, it's a two-step process. What you want them to know, what they, what they are hearing. So it's a two-step process. So that processing time that you're talking about that we sort of use for introverts is crucial for people with hearing loss. Just give them a minute to sort of process what was said, get the context. People that have hearing loss, regardless of how minor the hearing loss is or how minimal it is, listen with their ears and their eyes. So they're not just looking for the context of what you said, although that's part of it. They're also looking for the context of how that looks. You know, are your eyebrows raised? What do we know about visual cues? What do we know about what's going on in the environment? So there's a lot of things that the brain has to put together to make it understandable or to make it meaningful. You know, that's what we talk about is meaningful communication. So I think any time that you you consider the diversity of your communication, you know, how you offer things. Do you offer things? Are you talking to the speaker in front of them? Are you know, are you in front of them? Are you talking one at a time? Are you being sort of intentional? I don't want to say rate of speech, although rate of speech has a lot to do with it. I tend to be a fast talker, but but talking at a normal rate of speech, because what happens when, and this is why people don't like to tell others that they have hearing losses because the minute you say it, they're like, okay, I understand now. So unnecessary and so unhelpful. But it is having this intentionality to and letting the person process, let them listen to what you're saying, and then giving them that time to communicate back to you, either sort of reaffirming what you said. And that's another key to all this is listening to what their response is, because sometimes that lets you know that they didn't exactly hear what you said. And that's important. Not everybody, it's not obvious, not everybody wears amplification. Hearing loss is on a big spectrum. People with unilateral hearing loss with one ear don't tend to wear devices. However, for them, when noise is present in the environment, well, even when not noise is not present in the environment, they have no real easy way to locate sound. They never know where anything is coming from. So for example, could be in an empty house and the phone is ringing and they're going to spend 10 minutes going room to room looking for where the phone is because they can't get that sound location type thing. So just being intentional in your communication and being, I think that I guess, especially when you talk about servant leadership, because I always see servant leadership as being present in things. I think being present in that communication. For deaf and hard of hearing people, it seems your 
conversation, what you say is equally as important as to how you listen. And I think that's good communication anyway. So looking for those cues comes from listening to how they respond to you. Communicating, giving them time, and then seeing how they respond to you is going to let you know if that communication is really meaningful or fully yeah. understood. Yeah, I love that. And I, I love what you said about one of the reasons why people don't want to tell you that they might be deaf or hard of hearing because they don't want that unauthentic way of showing empathy. It's just so, it hurt, it's hurtful in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, we see that in not just that, we see that in a lot of um, extensions for diversity, equity, and inclusion that just come up as, as phony or fake or what have you. And in many cases, they come off as very hurtful. And I love what Larry Spears says about empathy. He says, people need to be accepted and recognized for their special and unique spirits. And that's a power of empathy. And so when you reach out to someone, when they tell you something that personal about themselves, if your reaction is like that, you're not recognizing them for their unique spirit. You're you're belittling them. You're looking down on them. You know, you need to stop and pause for a minute as Alex is talking about and think about what that listening is like. You need to think, okay, they just told me something personable. The, the, if you don't know what to do, then ask. Ask, how would you like to be communicated with? You don't have to assume. You can ask them. Stop that's the the power of a servant leader is admitting when you don't have an answer and stop and ask that person because if you recognize their unique and powerful spirit you're going to recognize that they might have an answer that you don't so stop and ask them if you don't know it's interesting that you mentioned that because i i don't want to leave out my american sign language friends right the profoundly deaf they have been very good at making sure people understand that they have a unique spirit Right. They have created a culture for themselves, a deaf culture for themselves through this language that they have in American Sign Language. And they have put it out there that, hey, this is our uniqueness and that's okay. And we like it and we embrace it. And they actually, despite maybe popular belief, like when people ask them about it or like when they preferred communication or like when they're included through an interpreter or whatever that may be, or if an interpreter is not present, yes, it would be wonderful if we've all learned American Sign Language. That would be great. Let me tell you, it took me four years to be fluent in the language. So I don't know that everybody has that kind of time, but they appreciate the little things that you do in if you don't know American Sign Language or you don't know any signs, that asking them, that ask, having respect for where they're coming from to say, how can I communicate with you? I wish I could communicate you with you in your natural language, but I can't. So what's the best way that I can make this meaningful for you? And I think that applies to the hard of hearing and the oral population as well. But the deaf population that uses American Sign Language, the deaf culture population has been really, really good at making us recognize that. The movie Coda, if you haven't seen it, is fantastic at just showing a glimpse of what that looks like and the uniqueness of what that is and and their perception from their side of how the hearing world sort of communicates with them or how they need to interact in the community in the in the um, hearing world. So it, it's very interesting. But yeah, I think you you're onto something there, Keith, with that 
ask somebody, you know, I'd much rather be asked. I'd rather somebody tell me they don't know something and ask me than have them make an assumption and then end up offending me or offending one of my students or one of my peers that has hearing loss. And I, I think you're right. I think that is a part of that empathy is so important in everything we do, not just this, um, in anything we do. It allows that person to have autonomy. You know, you and I have talked a lot about self-determination theory. Motivation and motivation requires relatedness, competency, and autonomy. And I think this is part of it. Asking somebody something motivates them to want to communicate with you because you're trying to meet them where they're at. You're giving them a choice to show you where they're at and open that meaningful dialogue with you. And then uh, hopefully on the flip side, people that are embrace servant leadership would know, hey, this is part of empathy. I need to help meet this person where they're at. And then they'll meet you where you're at. And somewhere we meet in the middle and then it starts becoming meaningful communication. Yeah, I love that. I We were talking a little bit earlier about how one of my first jobs as an adult was at uh, United Parcel Service or UPS. And I was a package handler. And you know that was my first exposure to the deaf and hard of hearing community as an 18-year-old. And I think it was a lost opportunity in my mind because we would, you know, we just at that age and in that environment there, we seemed to go our separate ways when there was pizza parties or different rewards and they would spend a lot of time by themselves and we would spend a lot of time by ourselves. And I look back on that and wish that we would have been more intentional about building a community and really kind of integrating. And I learned to communicate with them because you had to, in some of that environment, it would be unsafe not to know how to communicate. And so I had to learn different ways to communicate them. I didn't learn American sign language, but we came up with our own ways to communicate things in that environment so that we could not talk to each other, but communicate. And I think that's what we're trying to talk about here today is learning how to create communication or dialogue in a language that's authentic to all the members of your team and organization. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, you have to use that empathy that recognizes the special and unique spirits of the members of your team, whatever their backgrounds are, whatever their cultures are. And that takes a lot more than just a standard check the box, diversity, inclusion, and equity training. You have to really want to get to know people for that to really take place. And it takes a little bit of humility because you have to want to learn them. You have to pull some of those good habits out of that box and really work with those members and build that community. That's the the last characteristic of the 10 characteristics of servant leadership that Larry Spears talks about that we'll talk about today, because that's what I hope that we can learn from this discussion with Alex as she's taught us a lot about the deaf and hard of hearing community today, that I hope we can not just use for the deaf and hard of hearing community, but we can use with many different cultures or others that have struggles that we might not have or challenges or just different backgrounds that we don't have that we can bridge those gaps so we can build communities. And Larry Spears says the servant leader senses that much has been lost in recent human history as a result of the shift from local communities to large institution as the primary shaper of human lives. This awareness causes the servant leader to seek to identify some means for building community among those who work within a given institution. Servant leadership suggests that true community can be created among those who work in businesses and other institutions. And that's what my challenge for 
this episode is, is to look for ways to build community outside of the people you're comfortable with, outside of the people who look and act like you. Look for ways to build community. And you, in order to know how to do that, you have to find and learn about people that aren't like you. Yeah, it's great that you say that because I think what people don't realize is deaf and hard of hearing people are just like every every one of us. They have families, they have friends, they have cultures, they have things they love, things they don't love. They have all kinds of things that they do. They have hobbies. And and I think you can build a common ground with people. And I think that that sense of community is definitely important in everything that we do. But I think with this population, it's even more important because I, I think that that is the one true thing that I don't think people realize is how isolating hearing loss at every level can be. If you can't imagine going to school where they spoke half English, half Spanish, so you're only getting half the information. You're not getting to participate fully and meaningfully. So I think as a community, we have to embrace what that means and not just check the boxes. I have to laugh when you said about check the boxes because my employer, who shall remain nameless, University of Miami, um, has a training and of course in diversity and all this stuff. And one of the course is, is working with the visually impaired and hearing impaired. And I'm not quite sure who developed that because they didn't ask anybody in our office, but it is, it does give you this sense of checking boxes. Now, some of those boxes are important, like just to be able to have meaningful conversation as medical professionals and things like that. But then it deals with the patient, like doctor patient communication. But we have so many deaf and hard of hearing individuals that work within our university system. It doesn't deal with how we communicate with them as a university community. And I think what you're saying is equally important. How do we build that sense of community so they feel a part of the university community? Right now, currently, we have two deaf audiologists. So... How do we embrace them and bring them into our community? Because we want them to be, to have a meaningful part in what we do. So I, I love your challenge. I so love your challenge. Well, thanks so much. And I just, as we kind of get near wrapping up today, I, I just, one thing I've learned from Alex that is just mind boggling to me and to just foot stomp that level of isolation as we think about building community is that in many cases, the deaf and hard of hearing is not genetic. And so that isolation is compounded by the fact that their parents or their caregivers are not deaf and hard of hearing. So they usually, in a lot of instances, those that are taking care of these children or the, or adults go into deaf and hard of hearing cases and their spouses or their children start to take care of them, they don't have deaf and hard of hearing concerns. And so a lot of times the communication can be struggling for those that are experiencing these challenges for the first time because the people in their inner circle don't have deaf and hard of hearing challenges. And Alex can, can speak some more truth to this, but she's taught me some of these things. So I'm trying to amplify some of the knowledge she's given me. And so that isolation is compounded by the fact that the people around them that are close to them don't understand these challenges. And so we can help strengthen their community by showing true empathy and building a larger community around them and for their caregivers, because that listening fatigue is compounded by that struggle in and of itself, let alone all of the struggles that they're going along in their work environment. Now, the one thing that we haven't touched on at all that 
many of you may be facing in your organization is if you have a, a member of your organization that has a loved one that's now going through a deaf or hard of hearing challenge as a, as a old age or a new child that has a deaf of hard of hearing or that's just been diagnosed in school or maybe they haven't even been diagnosed yet, but they're just starting to experience those struggles and they're experiencing the fatigue of life because of these new challenges. And maybe they're not performing at their best and most capable self that you've known them to do. And how are you responding to that as their leader or their peer or their friend? And sometimes we need to take the time to recognize what's going on in the people's lives around us and what might be causing those challenges. And that goes back to the listening that Alex so well talked about. So Alex, anything you'd like to add to that? No, I think that's great. I'll give you an example. There's a gentleman that I just worked with. He was sent to me just recently. His name is Bruce, and he's actually on the board of directors for Florida Virtual School. Hopefully, you won't mind me telling his story a little bit. I would not call him as an active older senior. I would say that, you know, he's probably where you and I are in his life. And he was a leader on this board and things like that. And he had hearing loss and he didn't realize how much it impacted him till he really started to evaluate it. It got here and he got hearing aids recently and all these things. And he was almost in tears over how much he had missed out on. It just so happened that uh, one of my team members that works with me in my consulting business happens to also be on that board. And she was the one that encouraged him and supported him through that. And he just couldn't get over what that one little bit of support did for him as far as like being encouraged to move forward and being encouraged to be part of that community. And now they have a whole different dynamic at their board meetings and all this sort of stuff. So it can be done. You can build that community. It's so, so important to just understand and meet people where they're at and no matter what it is. And I think that's the message in certain servant leadership for me. A lot of times when I look at servant leadership and all those principles, I think that's one of the things is being secure in myself enough to meet people where they're at and know that I don't have all the answers and I am there to help and I am, but there's a way to go about it where you lift people up and you move them forward. And that's what's important. Yeah, I totally agree. I love that thought. I was recently exposed to an article that I think speaks to this isolation even beyond the deaf and hard of hearing community. And I'll post this article in the show notes, but it summarizes, and this is just a loose summarization of it, but of the respondents of this survey, about one in seven men and one in 10 females responded that they did not feel that they had a true friend. Now, those are some staggering numbers to a survey. And I think that as we look at our organizations, as we look at the people around us, if if we are starting to see some fatigue or some challenges in our organizations and, you know, we might wonder, you know, how what's the support systems around our individuals? And as we look at how we build the people up around us, there's also been some chatter in some organizations about, you know, calling our work organization's family and how that's led to some toxic behavior because people are so dedicated to their work that they might not have a good outside of work life. And I think there's some truth to that, but I think there's also a way to create a support mechanism outside of work for the people you work with. And so I think that looking at some of these principles that Alex has talked so well about for how she does this work with this great community and the deaf and hard of hearing population, 
and looking at those people that are struggling with isolation in general, looking at how do we buoy up the people around us? How do we look at their support systems? How do we, you know, in the military, they call it intrusive leadership, which I've never liked that word. It always feels, it feels a little too like non-consensual, if you will. Um, but But I think there's, there's some truth to that, you know, asking good questions to the people around you to make sure that they have the support system and, and, and helping people find support around them. Maybe you're not going to be the one that is the right person to lift and support everyone, but you can help people find hobbies and interests outside of work that can connect them with a potential true friend in the right setting that can give them the support. And that's what a good servant leader does. It doesn't necessarily take on all of these problems, but it helps connect people with the right settings. And I think that's what I've watched Alex do as she's built up systems for these parents and for other people as she's looked at how does she support the whole group of people in this situation and how does she give them the tools to support not just the person that has a deaf or hard of hearing challenge, but how does she support that that whole group of people within that situation. And I think that building that support system goes a lot further than building just one person. I think you're right. And I take that as a compliment. Thank you very much. All right. Well, any uh, final comments before we wrap up here today, Alex? No, just thank you for giving and amplifying a voice on this. I think this is great. I think that the more aware awareness is key. It's just something people don't think about. You know, they don't think about it in terms of kids. They don't think about it in terms of 20 somethings or 30 somethings. The 70 somethings. Yeah. We think about it then, but then we even get frustrated with them. And I think having a greater understanding of all this is important. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to amplify this information. That's great. Well, thanks so much, Alex. And to all you listening, thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed another episode of that all might be edified discussions on servant leadership. And please share the podcast with those that might benefit from this information. You never know who might be impacted by another person in their circle that might have a challenge with deafness or hard of hearing. So share freely and have a wonderful day.